Yahweh, we worship you this morning. We praise you and we lift you high. God, there are so many things around us right now that just point to things out of control. But we know that things are not out of control because you are ultimately in control. And I pray that we would be able to focus our eyes on you and that we would not worry about all the things that are so crazy right now. And I pray that as we focus on you in worship as we have already, that you, you would be elevated in our eyes and minds and that we would realize again that you are in control of all the earth, all the earth, all the earth. And we just pray that you would encourage our hearts today. Thank you, God, for bringing us through a lot of the pandemic and bringing us back together. We thank you, God, as you are restoring family together. Just pray that you'll continue that process. And today, take the word of God, the living word. God, there's nothing in me that I don't have anything to say apart from the word of God. But with the word of God, Lord, you speak to us. You speak truth and life and righteousness and life change. So change our lives, Lord, today through your word. And we praise you in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. Please be seated. Good to see people coming back in. And I know that we have people in the parking lot. There are those of you that are listening online as as recorded. And uh, just want to express a special welcome to you. In my devotions this week, one of, the, one of the passages just jumped out. I just wanted to share that today. In Isaiah 26, it was in the middle of all kinds of turmoil in the nation of Israel. And Isaiah says, you will keep in perfect peace him whose mind is steadfast because he trusts in you. He will keep you in perfect peace if you keep your mind on God. So I know that we're distracted on a daily basis every day uh, by so many things, just life in itself, but all the other things. And so I want to encourage you to keep your eyes and mind on God, on God. And and that will produce peace. We stay informed, that's good. But remember, our eyes can't be on all those things. Our eyes must be on God and Jesus. So just, just a reminder, that's not my sermon today, but we'll get to that. One of the interesting things that happen using my iPad is I get texts from my daughter in Nashville on occasion. So I had one this morning. I won't, I won't read it. So but it was a greeting that said, have a great service. So you all from my daughter have a great service today. Okay. <laughs> two weeks ago, we looked at the first seven verses of Ephesians chapter two. It was called Extreme Makeover Human Edition. We talked about the before Christ and after Christ. Uh, the fact that we needed to be changed and we needed an extreme makeover. We were dead spiritually. We were unresponsive. We were enslaved. We were unable to control anything. We were the, under the influence of powers outside of ourselves. We are dominated by physical cravings and we are destined for judgment. It was part of our nature. It was who we were or who we are. The statement, we are not sinners because we sin, we sin because we're sinners. We're, we're not 
sinners because we sin. We sin because we're sinners. It's part of our DNA. And we got through that kind of that bleak picture of the before Christ. And then the two words, but God. But God. And we looked at God, the person of the extreme makeover. How God transforms our lives and changes our nature. Actually changes our heart. Changes us from the inside out. Then last week we looked at grace only. Grace only. That this life change that he's talking about in Ephesians is is all God's work. We don't earn it. We can't earn it. We don't deserve it. And today we're going to look at outside in. Outside in. We could almost describe this message as extreme makeover, human position. Human position. Paul describes our before Christ in terms of position, positionally. Where people are, where we are in a relationship with God, and where we go to as becoming people of God. Nature is one thing, and we talked about that before. Now this is about position. Where we are in position after Christ, where we are in position with God's people and God himself. And today we're going to look at outside in. We're looking at Ephesians 2. It's on page 947 if you're looking for it in the Bible in the rack in front of you. It'll also be on the projection. Ephesians 2, starting with verse 11. Ephesians 2, verse 11. Therefore, remember that formerly... You who are Gentiles by birth and called uncircumcised by those who call themselves the circumcision, that done in the body by the hands of men, remember that in, at that time you were separate from Christ, excluded from citizenship in Israel and foreigners to the covenants of the promise, without hope and without God in the world. But now in Christ Jesus, you who are once far away have been brought near through the blood of Christ. For he himself is our peace who has made the two one. And has destroyed the barrier, the dividing wall of hostility, by abolishing in his flesh the law with its commandments and regulations. His purpose was to create in himself one new man out of the two, thus making peace. And in this one body to reconcile both of them to God through the cross by which he put to death their hostility. He came and preached peace to you who are far away and peace to those who were near. For through him we both have access to the Father by one spirit. Consequently, you are no longer foreigners and aliens, but fellow citizens with God's people and members of God's household, built on the foundation of the apostles and prophets with Christ Jesus himself as the chief cornerstone. In him the whole building is joined together and rises to become a holy temple in the Lord. In him you too are being built together to become a dwelling in which God lives by his spirit. Then chapter 3, verse 6 says, This mystery is that through the gospel of the Gentiles are heirs, together with Israel, members together of one body, and sharers together in the promise in Christ Jesus. Remember, as we go through Ephesians, we are trying to understand who I am. Who am I? Who am I in Christ? What is my identity? Who, who we are in Christ. Now, there's a lot here, but this particular passage can be boiled down to one, one phrase, one major concept, outside and inside. Outside and inside. It's before and after. And this has to do with positionally or relationally, with God and, 
and with God's people. Now, several phrases were described, were used to describe the people where they were, okay? And this is where we can identify with where they were, we were, or perhaps are today, positionally before Jesus. And the one overarching word that says this is the way you were is outsiders. Outsiders. This is where you were, outside. Now, what comes to your mind when I tell you you are an outsider? If I say you are, you're, you're an outsider, okay? Now, when I graduate, graduated from college, I was hired for a teaching position in a town of about 1,000 people in rural western North Dakota. Western North Dakota. And after I moved into my, my residence, I went to the local grocery store to purchase some groceries. I put my items on the counter, and the middle-aged woman checker said to me, you must be the new music teacher. And I, I looked at her, like, and I said, yes, but how did you know? She said, well, you're the only new person in town. Well, I quickly discovered not only did everyone know everyone else, and knew everyone else's business, okay? But there were only two types of people in town. There were insiders and outsiders. And no matter how long you lived in this town, if you weren't born and raised there, you were always an outsider, okay? Always an outsider. How many of you have been in a community like that? Okay. Hopefully Eau Claire's not that way, but that's, that's the way it was there. Now, they treated me nice. Don't get me wrong. It's just I was never going to be an insider in this town, just the way it was. Now, there are some examples we see around us today, outside versus inside, and some of you may experience some of this. Maybe the, the pain of actually being excluded as an outsider. Maybe your in-laws never quite accepted you. Maybe you've experienced racial prejudice or, or maybe economic prejudice. You really don't belong in this neighborhood. Or peer pressure prejudice. You don't belong in my group. You're an outsider. We all experience painful hurts, maybe reminders of, of what it's like to be an outsider, being on the outside, never totally inside. And in this particular passage, there are some phrases used about, says you were formerly, he's talking to the Ephesians now, formerly you were outsiders. And they used phrases, these are descriptive phrases of who they were, said they were Gentiles by birth, letter A. Jews, remember, Jews at this time in history would have nothing to do with Gentiles, non-Jews. They were outsiders. They were uncircumcised, letter B. They hadn't taken steps to physically enter Abraham's covenant. They were outsiders. They were separate from Christ. The Messiah was first sent to the Jews. And these Ephesians were not Jews. It says they were excluded from citizenship, outsiders. They were foreigners to the covenants of promise. So all of these, th these phrases describing outsiders describe these people in the church in Ephesus. He said, you were formerly, you were, you were just outsiders. Outsiders. They could not enter God's presence. Now, the Jews had a temple in Jerusalem. And this temple in Jerusalem was the religious center of the entire nation. And the layout of the temple in Jerusalem showed how true this concept of being an outsider was. Inside the temple walls, there were a series of courts or inner chambers. The innermost court was called the Holy of Holies, and it was in the very center. And there's only one person that could enter that Holy of Holies, and only once a year. One person, once a year, and that was the high priest. 
Nobody else had access to the Holy of Holies. One person, once a year, could go into the Holy of Holies. Then came the court of priests, which was the next area that the priests, only the priests could be in. Then they had the, what was called the court of the Israelites, was out moving further out. And that was for the Israelites, but only men. Okay? Only men. And then you had, further out than that, you had the court of women. Okay? You can imagine how this would go over today. Didn't go over, yeah. That's the way it was. So it was the Holy of Holies, the court of the priests, the court for the men, Israelites only, then the court for the women. Then past that was way back from the Holy of Holies, separated from the men of Israel by a barrier of women. We find the court of the Gentiles. Court of the Gentiles. And Chaphan writes this. He said, on the low barrier separating this lower court from the rest were posted signs in Latin and Greek giving warning that death would come to any Gentile who sought to advance further toward the Holy of Holies. Talk about a, you know, feeling like an outsider. I went to church and you know, I had to stay out in the lobby you know, or I had to stay out here. Or you know, it's like, and there were signs warning me, you're, you're going you're to lose your life if you come past this barrier. That's what it was. Foreigners to the covenant of promise. Letter F, they were also without hope. And it says they were also without God in this world. So you have all these descriptors. It's a, it's a bleak picture if you're a Gentile or a woman, basically. You're, you're, you're an outsider. Gentiles were the consummate outsiders. Now, I don't know if you had this experience. When I was a kid, the three of us, I, I had two older brothers, and we were, mom was teaching us one day, and she was reading something in, about the Gentiles and, and uh, Jews and stuff. And my, one of my brothers said, are we Jews? Are we Jews? And my other brother said, no, nah, we're reptiles. He, he got a little mixed up. But it's not reptiles, it's Gentiles. But it's an outsider looking in. If you were not a Jew, you were a Gentile. You were an outsider looking in. And there was a wall that separated Jew from all the benefits and freedoms that everybody else had. Now for us, positionally or in position, that's where we were or are if we are outside of Christ. If we don't have Jesus in our life, that's where we are. Outsiders by birth, we're born sinners, uncircumcised, not gaining acceptance by some kind of physical thing we can do, separate from Christ, non-citizens, he says, without hope and without God. And most of us have experienced enough kind of exclusion in our lifetime looking from the outside in that we can understand that this is not fun to be on the outside. But, but in our faith, in our, in our religion, outside of God, no access. What must that have been like to feel that kind of exclusion, that kind of an outsider status? And you may be here today and, and feel that way. Sometimes people go to, the, to church for a first time or they go into a community and they, and they feel like an outsider. Maybe you have always been made to feel you're not quite good enough or you've never been to the right church and you don't, maybe you don't dress the exact way and you don't know the rules and you don't know, yeah, all of these kinds of feelings. Maybe you, you haven't been part of the right family or never learned enough about God. Feel like an outsider. If you've ever felt like an outsider, this message is for you. It's for you. Into this bleak picture steps the person of reconciliation, okay? Outsider in steps, Jesus. 
The reconciler. This is Roman numeral two. Now, what, what does a reconciler do? What does a reconciler do? Um, I remember seeing in the past um, labor strikes. In particular, I remember one particular contentious time the Seattle Teachers Union struck, and there was this incredible stoppage of school coming in, though. I mean, it's like the whole Northwest was paralyzed because there was a disagreement over the contract. It was a teacher strike. And there were two sides, and they were very, very far apart. Now, in order to bring a solution, to bring the sides together, they brought in a mediator, a mediator. Someone to try to bring the two sides together, to reconcile, to reach an agreement. Now, it doesn't always work, but that's the role of a mediator. A similar thing would be in a legal situation. Rather than go to court, you go to binding arbitration, and you have a mediator that basically both sides agree in advance that whatever the mediator decides, that's what you'll go with. And that can remove the cause of differences. Whether you have a mediator, a binding arbitration, arbitrator, whatever that is, you have to bring in somebody from the outside to help facilitate this process. And in this process, Jesus is the arbitrator. He's the mediator. Verse 13 says, But now in Christ Jesus, you who once were far away were brought near. There there are phrases that, that Paul uses to describe the picture of what this extreme makeover did to our human position. Remember? Extreme maker, this is our human position. Far away, isolated, outsiders. First is number one, it's far being brought near. This is what Jesus did. We are far, he brought us near. Hostile, number two, and he made peace. Two became one. It's a picture of reconciliation that Jesus, the reconciliator, it did all of these things, whether it's being far, ringing near, making two, one, whatever that is. They're, they're pictures of, of outsiders being brought in. Sometimes it's almost impossible to bring the outside in, isn't it? You've seen situations. I remember following the Iraq war, there were, and there were more than just two factions. There were the Kurds up in the north, the Sunni Arabs, and the Shiite Arabs in the south. There were those in this country who wanted a secular government, democracy. There were those who wanted a moderate religious system of government and those who wanted a radical Islamic religious state. And the complexity of trying to bring all of those groups together to make peace. It's difficult sometimes to bring together unity to make one nation. And Paul paints a picture of our before. Outsiders, insiders, far near, hostile peace, two becoming one. And then he also, it says a reconciler, number four does, it destroyed the barrier. Destroyed the barrier. What's that about? The the barrier was this dividing wall of hostility. Now, I don't know if this wall of hostility was between Jews and Gentiles only, but it also has to do with light and darkness and good and evil and all kinds of things. And, And this was this dividing Wall. And he said, I, he destroyed the barrier. It's a wall of hostility. Most of us here are old enough to remember the Berlin Wall. The Berlin Wall. After World War II, Germany and most of Eastern Europe divided the jurisdiction between the Allies and USSR, Soviet Union. It was a big mistake. And the USSR imposed this totalitarian communism on the countries under its control. 
And Germany, right in the middle, was split in two. You had East Germany and West Germany. And the capital city was split then into East Berlin and West Berlin. And people kept leaving East Berlin to go to West Berlin because it was communist and totalitarian. They wanted to go where there was freedom, into West Berlin. So not to keep people out, but to keep people in and enslaved, they built the Berlin Wall to keep people from going to freedom. It was a wall of hostility. It was a barrier to freedom. It separated people. A very visual reminder of what this wall of hostility can be. Then President Reagan, God bless him, gave his famous speech at the Berlin Wall in West Berlin. And he said to President Gorbachev of the USSR, if you are serious about freedom, if you are serious about reform, Mr. Gorbachev, tear down this wall. He, he had a lot of speechwriters in that day that said, don't say that. <laughs> He said, tear down this wall. He said, we have to tear down this barrier to freedom. And that's what he said. Destroy this barrier. Make two into one. And soon afterwards, the people of East Berlin did just that. They began to dismantle and tear down the wall. And communism in Eastern Europe absolutely collapsed. And freedom became a reality. That is a, a picture of outsiders looking over the wall, wanting to be reconciled, restored in a relationship. They wanted to come across the wall. And they finally were able to. We also faced a wall of hostility. It says, why we were enemies or sinners, Christ died for us. It's a picture of what Jesus did for us. What did he do? He tore down the wall. That's what was done. And who did this? It was Jesus who tore down the reconcile. Who brought the far near? Who took the hostile and made peace? Who made the two one? Jesus Christ did. In verses 13 and 14 it says, But now in Christ Jesus you who were once far away have been brought near through the blood of Christ. For he himself is our peace who has made the two one and destroyed the barrier, the dividing wall of hostility. Jesus, our reconciliator. Reconciler, our mediator. How did he do it? How was that done? Paul uses several phrases to talk about how this was done. First one, these are actions that Jesus took. It was through the blood of Christ, in verse 13. Through the blood of Christ, meaning he died for us. It was through the cross, in verse 16, meaning he died for us. Three, he changed the contract in verse 15 by abolishing in his flesh the law with its commandments and regulations. What does that mean? He changed how we approached God. Changed how we approached God. I, in my devotions, it's interesting. I, I, read, um, I try to read just about every day one chapter from each part of the, of the Bible, the history books, the prophets, the Psalms and Proverbs and the epistles and the gospels. And right now, I'm in Leviticus. Leviticus is kind of hard. It's <laughs> but the thing that was amazing to me, I mean, I, I'm reading all they had to do, the Israelites had to do in the Old Testament to approach God. They had to bring animals to sacrifice. And I, I looked at that and, you know, I... Since we've been in Wisconsin, I'm hearing about people that go deer hunting and they field dress the deer and stuff, ladies that do this stuff, cut up, and I'm going, ooh, I don't know if I could do that. You know, it's, it's, but you know what? If you were a priest in that day, you, you had to 
slay the animal and tear it apart, do the stuff and take the kidney here and put this there and burn this part and do that. It was like, it was like a butcher job. I mean, it was me. I'm glad I wasn't a pastor in those days. But anyway, the, the amazing things they had to go to to approach God. That was part of the covenant. The shedding of blood back then was through animals, the blood of animals and goats. Sheep, birds, that's what they had to do in order to, to approach God. And when Jesus came, he changed all that. He changed how we approach God. In, in Galatians 2, 15, it says, We who are Jews by birth and not Gentile sinners know that a man is not justified by serving the law. That was sacrificing animals, but by faith in Jesus Christ. So we too have put our faith in Christ Jesus that we may be justified by faith in Christ, not by observing the law. Because by observing the law, no one will be justified. I do not set aside the grace of God, for if righteousness could be gained through the law, Christ died for nothing. So when Jesus came, he changed the contract, changed the contract, made it so that we could approach him directly. And, and what this says, we can't keep all the rules perfectly. Maybe you can, I can't. We, but the Bible says we, all of us fall short. Jesus says, I have a better way. Jesus paid the price for our failure, and we accept that gift of grace through faith. He initiated a new contract, a new contract. Galatians 3.11 says, Clearly no one is justified before God by the law because the righteous will live by faith. The righteous will live by faith. We looked at this last week. Ephesians 2.8.9, For it is by grace you have been saved through faith. And this is not from yourselves. It is a gift of God, not by works so that no one can boast. There's no cause for self-effort. There's no cause for pride. We are all recipients of grace. And because of that, there are no outsiders. We can all be inside. We can be inside. In verse 15, it says, Jesus abolished the law in his flesh by his death with all his commandments and regulations. And he changed forever how we approach God. No longer outsiders, insiders. There's no wall anymore. There's no hostility. There's no distance. There's no longer two. There's only one. That's what Jesus did. Outside, the reconciler. Now let's look at the insiders. What does it mean if we're insiders? It means family ties. It means a place to belong. It's an extreme makeover human position. What does it mean to be insiders? What does it mean to be on the inside? So this is the so what. What what else do we have? What else has God given us in Jesus? First of all, we have access to God. We have access to God. Verse 18, for through him we both have access to the Father by one spirit. Access to God. You know, we take that for granted. We take it so for granted. We can pray anytime we want. We can pray to God Directly Now, before Christ, you had to go through the priest. I mean, even children can pray to God. Even children. Now, most of us probably learned the Lord's Prayer as children. One mother had been teaching her three-year-old daughter the Lord's Prayer several evenings over bedtime and leading her through the Lord's Prayer one, one sentence at a time. Finally, this three-year-old girl says she wanted to do it herself. She said, I wanted to do it. She wanted to go solo. 
So mom listened with pride as she carefully enunciated each word of the Lord's Prayer. And at the end, she said, lead us not into temptation, but deliver us some email. She knew that we had direct access to God. Anyway, that's just a little bit. What does it mean to be inside? Direct access to God. Secondly, we are fellow citizens with God's people. Verse 19, we are fellow citizens. Now, some people will do almost anything, risk their life to become a citizen of this country, the United States of America. Why? Because citizenship brings privileges in the greatest, most prosperous, and freest nation on the planet. Citizenship in God's kingdom brings incredible benefits and privileges too. Before, you're excluded as outsiders. Now we have all the rights of full citizenship. And what does that mean? We are members of God's household, letter C. We're part of a family, God's family. What does it mean to you to be part of a family? Sometimes we take it for granted, then we're we either lose family members or we're separated from family or, or we don't have family close. You know, there are all kinds of things we take for granted. We're part of God's family. What does it mean? One of the most incredible actions one can take is to adopt a child. And some of you here have either adopted or been adopted. To be adopted, one has to be an orphan, has to be without, without parents, but wanted by new parents. Wanted. Wanted. If you are adopted, you were wanted and chosen by your new parents. And when we look at our position in Christ, who we were, we were all orphans. We were all separated from God, without family. And God placed value on us. He planned for us. He loved us, and he adopted us so we're part of God's family. Family. We're part of God's family. Contrast what it was like growing up without a family, orphaned or outside, with growing up in a family, adopted or born into it with parents, brothers, and sisters. Inside a family, we have life, love, and relationship. You belong. This is family. Family. That's what God has given us. Family. Family. And just like the human family, we don't get to choose our heavenly family, just so you know. Other believers are family. We're just related. Enjoy it. Learn to get along. You're going to spend a long time together in eternity with family. So what does it mean to be on the inside? Access to God, citizenship, family. Letter D, we are part of God's building. Verse 21. In him, the whole building is joined together and rises to become a holy temple in the Lord. And that's pretty cool. Paul, Paul uses metaphors and pictures to, to describe who we are in Christ, our position. And which means you are an integral brick in God's house. Just you know. Now, we'll be looking at this more fully as we get into chapter 4. But basically, it means we all have a function. We're being built together. Okay, maybe you're not a brick. Maybe you're a two-by-four. Or maybe you're the carpet or sheetrock or the sink or the light fixture or whatever. And as an insider, you are an integral part of what God is doing. You're part of this building, interconnected. So it's part of the building. Letter E, we are connected to Jesus. All connected to Jesus, the cornerstone. We don't have time to look at cornerstone in depth, and we get to Ephesians 4, we'll talk more about what all this means. But it is our identity, who we are in Christ. 
extreme makeover, human position. That's our position. Outside in. Finally, what does it mean to be on the inside? What does it mean to be inside? Finally, letter F, we are inhabited by God himself. We are inhabited by God himself. Verse 22, and in him you too are being built together to become a dwelling in which God lives by his spirit. God lives in you. God lives in you. One of the hardest things that we have to understand is that the fact that the God of the universe would take up residence in us. When we receive Jesus Christ, ask for forgiveness, give our lives to Jesus, he comes into our life and he resides in us. The God of the universe in you. That's part of being on the inside, part of the family of God. God lives in you. Outside in. Ephesians 3, 6 says, this mystery is that through the gospel of the Gentiles are heirs together with Israel, members together of one body and sharers together in the promise of Christ Jesus. Outside in. Let's pray. Father, we thank you that your word gives us this, these pictures of of who we were before and who we are today. And I pray, God, that we would comprehend in new ways what you've given us by being part of the body of Christ, by being uh, part of the family of God, part of the building, part of the structure, just everything that we have. Lord, and I just pray that you would help us to understand the value you place on us because of that. And God, that, that we would live in such a way that we live out this new life. We're not outsiders. We're insiders because of what Jesus, you have done. I pray that we'll live within that and that your Holy Spirit would fill us and use us, Lord, that we would fellowship with you, our spirit with your spirit, because you're, you're as close as inside of us. Help us to apprehend in a new way, Lord, the power and the intimacy of that truth that you, God, live in me. And we would realize again how much you love us. In Jesus' name.